What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Generation Line podcast. My name is Jesse Rubin. If you like uh, this content and our other episodes, please rate us five stars, give us a follow, post about us, tweet about us, TikTok about us. I don't know. Is that a thing? You should do that. Anyway, um, this podcast has been really exciting. The response has been great. And um, yeah, thank you for listening. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, one of the co-founders of Generation Lime. His name is John Donnelly. How are you doing today, John? Doing well. Thanks for having me on here. We are excited for you to be here. Um, on a personal note, I am excited to talk to you today because you are a big part of my recovery and my journey, and we met at a time when I was in a dark spot and really, really sick, and um, our friendship and our group of friends really helped pull me out of that and was a big reason why I wanted to work with Generation Lime in the first place. So yeah, excited for you to tell your story for the folks at home. Absolutely. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go in chronological order. We're going to basically get your story starting from when you were very little, whatever before Lime looked like, during, after, and then we're also going to have to talk about the bike trip. We John, we sorry, John, <laughs> sorry, John. We're going to have to. John, I feel so old though. I was so in shape and you, biking across the country. Could not do that right now. You, but it was an amazing great. trip. So, um, just to as a spoiler, John uh, biked across the entire United States for the sake of Lyme disease awareness, and uh, one of the most incredible things I've ever, ever even seen in my entire life. And I'm excited to get into it with you. Me too. So let's just go all the way back. How old were you when this whole thing started? So hard to pinpoint exactly when because I was sick for a long period of time before I was diagnosed. But I'd say probably around nine or 10 years old is when I started getting sick with various things. A lot of sinus infections, ear infections chronic headaches. And then when I was in middle school, I started getting like really bad arthritis in my neck. Yeah. Um, to the point that I was seeing a chiropractor twice a week, swallow an Advil at like 10 o'clock before going to bed. <laughs> All right. Wait, wake let's, up. Let's, yeah. let's, let's, because <laughs> we got, we got a that lot accelerated. To, we yeah. got a lot to cover here. Uh, this is already going to be insane. So you're nine years old. Is there ever a thought when you're that age of like, something is wrong here, this is different, this shouldn't be happening to me? Did you ever like talk to your friends about it when you were a kid, that age and, and just try to figure out what was going on? I mean, I think you're so young and it's even hard to remember that far back, but I think when you're so young, it's very difficult to articulate what you're going through, right? So... You know, I did notice that I didn't have as much energy, that my head hurt, that I was getting dizzy and had these various things. And then the neck pain was something like tangible, like, wow, my neck really hurts, mom. Okay, let's go to the chiropractor. That seems like the obvious thing to do. But it didn't uh, seem strange that a nine-year-old needed to go to a chiropractor? I, th I think it did seem strange. And like, that's why we went to the chiropractor. <laughs> but no one in my family or even any of the doctors that I went to see, like my pediatrician ever suspected Lyme disease, despite the fact that like we, like I had pulled ticks off me uh, more than a handful of times. 
So where, okay, where are you living at the time? Where did you grow up? So I was in Morristown, New Jersey, mm-hmm. which, you know, Lyme, de- Lyme disease is a thing there. There are ticks. You know, we'd regularly see deer crossing our yard. Um, and, but we didn't know anyone who had Lyme disease really. Right. So when, so when you're like, you're saying that, first of all, it's so funny because I like any, that word, even just the word tick, I'm like, bah! you know? Yeah. Um, so, but when you're, when you're ha- seeing these ticks, when you're pulling them off you, like, is this like a major crisis? Oh my God, we have to figure this out. What is going on? Like, we can't have this. Or is it just like, oh, pull it off, go about our day. Like what's I the- think it was pretty casual. I think it was pretty casual. Uh, people knew about ticks and knew that you had to pull them off of you. Um, and of course, if they had been latched on you for more than a few days, then maybe you, you might get something called Lyme disease. But if you found them early enough, which seemed to be the case when I pulled them off me, then there was seemingly nothing to worry about, which, you know, we now know it is, is not the case. It's completely, completely insane. Right. And then there's also like, <laughs> unless you get that classic bullseye rash, then, then you, you're fine. The, the tick either didn't carry the, the uh, Borrelia or it wasn't on you long enough. Okay. So you're nine and 10, you're going to the chiropractor. Now you're in middle school. Yep. And, and you're taking Advil all the time. Are you just in pain? Do you ever feel normal in middle school or are you just constantly in pain? Or do you just think you're in pain and that's normal? In pain and it kind of becomes the new normal, especially in sixth and seventh grade. Um, and then at night, it just becomes crushing, right? Like I can't even go to sleep without those Advil. And then I'm waking up again at three o'clock to pound more Advil. And my parents are a little bit at their wits end trying to figure out what's going on here. Um, my pediatrician can't really figure it out. Chiropractor, of course, is 90% sure that it's something structurally wrong with my spine. So uh, we take his word for it and keep going back. Um <laughs> I mean, did you get x-rays? What could possibly have been wrong with your spine at 11, 12 years old? Degenerative arthritis, they thought, at 10 or 11 years old, oh which is an aggressive uh, diagnosis. Oh my God. But yeah, I mean, we just we just didn't know any better. No, no one did. I guess one thing that I want to just pinpoint here, because this comes up a lot in these conversations and with people listening were your parents were on board with you it sounds like the whole time yeah they were fully on board on board they were very concerned um they they were looking for answers but i guess the, the other part is i didn't have any truly visible manifestation right like i didn't have a big rash on my face or uh you know twitches or or something like that these were all kind of I mean, they they were challenging to get through, but none of them disrupted me from going to school. Now, are you like, are you a good student? Are you on playing sports? Are you? No, no. I was like, I was <laughs> tested for ADHD. I was like kind of off the walls, um, uh, like terrified of, of reading out loud during class, like really struggling uh, with my with my courses. So I was pretty much like a straight C to B minus student at that point in time and had a terrible time focusing on anything for like longer than 10 minutes. 
I mean, it sounds like you're dealing with like anxiety kind of stuff too. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think it was just, I was just off the walls, man. I was off the walls while at the same time feeling, you know, pretty sick. I mean, is that, do you have ADHD or was that a, a Lyme disease symptom you think? Well, what I can tell you is that after I was treated for Lyme disease with a few weeks of intravenous antibiotics, I was like an entirely different kid wow. after that point. Went from getting C's to straight A's my eighth grade year. So like you look at these things and it was very tangible, both like the symptoms that I was having with the neck pain yeah. um, to you know, just performance athletically, academically. It was night and day. So, all right. So let's just fill in that gap. Yeah. You go from neck pain. I can't believe that a chiropractor said you had degenerative. I just, okay. So you're doing that. You're in pain all the time. You can't sleep. What, what, what happened where suddenly you were getting IV antibiotic treatment? Right. So I, I was, was really sick, feeling unwell, seeing the chiropractor all the time. Uh, started getting low grade fevers. This is like seventh, eighth grade. This is seventh, eighth grade. This is really it's already summer. a brutal time. <laughs> Just a brutal, brutal age. So tough. It's uh yeah. So it's summer going into eighth grade, and uh, I'm feeling really sick. And then all of a sudden, middle of the day, half my face goes paralyzed. Like I walk up to my dad. He's in his office. I'm like, Dad, look, I think half my face is paralyzed. Something's wrong here. Okay. And that's when he's like, oh boy, we got to go to the hospital. And because that's like a classic Lyme disease symptom, they knew to test for it. And I very fortunately compared to other patients tested like off the charts positive for Lyme I mean, disease. I, I mean, I'm, and when I said this yesterday, when we were go, going over this, the fact that you came in with Bell's palsy and they thought to test you for Lyme, I think is very fortunate because I think there were probably, especially back then, a lot of doctors who would not have thought to test for Lyme with Bell's palsy. Right. So, exactly. I, so I think the Bell's palsy was totally a blessing. And then the fact that I came back positive on that test. Yeah, that's like hitting the lottery, man. Yeah. So, I mean, that being said, I, I was dealing with symptoms for a few years that you know people couldn't really put their finger on. Yeah. So now, okay, so you're in middle school. You've got Bell's palsy. You have a positive Lyme test. Yep. Then who do you who do you go to? Who did you see? Did you did they give you treatment at the hospital? Pretty much uh, day two of being in the hospital, they gave me uh, uh, a pick line, and then I started intravenous rocephin, which I was on for three or four weeks, and I was working with an infectious disease specialist in Morristown while uh, going through that treatment. Were you? Wow, you went zero to pick line. Were you in, did you stay in school? Were you going to school? This this was during the summer. Oh, lucky you. So this was over the summer. Fun little and, summer vacation for John. And I, I guess I'd just gotten used to the symptoms because I remember when they told me I had to have the pick line in, I was like devastated that I wouldn't be able to swim and I wouldn't be able to go in the ocean. But oh uh, yeah, I mean, within like the first week of treatment was completely brutal. Like I just had no energy whatsoever. I assume just because the bacteria was just dying inside of me. Um, but after, after the month of treatment, I, I felt basically like my old self. It's like a cloud had been lifted 
and I was totally normal kid again. So that's so now that's beginning of middle school before it, summer before middle school. I mean, high, I mean, high before, school. Sorry, summer before eighth grade. So what was eighth grade like? Normal, very normal. <laughs> Did very well academically, athletically. I got like the most improved student award. Like, and I mean, it, it's hard to say what was caused by Lyme disease and what wasn't. I mean, I still had very high energy and was bouncing off the walls completely, but I, I do know I could focus better. I mean, um, your grades went up, obviously. Grades went up, obviously. I was, because <laughs> uh, I, I believe I had uh, neurologic Lyme disease with the Bell's palsy. Yeah, sounds um, like So, yeah, I mean, I was just an entirely different person from I was the the previous year for sure so then what was how was high school such a loaded question (laughs) yeah (laughs) high school was normal high school was very normal uh yeah yeah I, I did well um didn't really have any symptoms related to Lyme disease were you because I can't I I didn't get sick till I was in my 20s so yeah were you, when you were in high school, like, did you ever have that in the back of your mind as something that like, that was this crazy thing that happened? I need to be careful in the woods. Were you still being outdoorsy? Were you still pulling ticks off you at that point? Was this something that you were thinking about a lot? Or was it just like, I feel good. I'm being a kid. I don't care. You know, everything's fine. I was, I was paranoid about ticks for sure. I did not want to go in the woods. I didn't want to go on camping trips. If I found a tick on me, I would immediately go to the doctor and be like, okay, let's figure this out because I do not want to go through that experience again. How many times did that happen? Um, I Fortunately, I didn't find any ticks on me throughout high school. Okay. So that was a good thing. No ticks that I know about, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do know I was like, I'm scared shitless of ticks, <laughs> Yeah. but uh, generally didn't think too much about my health because I felt completely fine after that round of antibiotics, which Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, I was very, I was very lucky that they gave me the intravenous antibiotics and that I got basically completely better after that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you were in a, a fortunate situation where I don't know if I've ever heard of even someone with a very positive test for at a hospital going directly to intravenous IV pick line. You right. know, a lot of people, even with a positive test, are getting two weeks of dox, oral doxy and, and being shoved out the door, you know? So, yeah, that, that's yeah. I mean, that's was was that an option? Was it like we could do oral stuff and then or we could try this more aggressive treatment or you were just like, I don't care. Give me whatever is going to make me feel better. No, because we had pushed for oral antibiotics being like, okay, this seems pretty aggressive having a pick line in for three to four oh, weeks. You didn't because- want it. Well, because infections can happen that way too. So, I mean, right. we, were, we were a little concerned, but they, they were adamant about it. Because I think once you get the Bell's palsy, then they're like, this could be neurologic Lyme disease. And fortunately, they were literate enough, literate enough in Lyme disease to, to know that. So, they where's gave that? Me, where's that hospital doctor? I yeah, need more was, people like that. This was Morristown Memorial. Yeah. They, I mean, yeah, they diagnosed me and started treating me very early. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, for a late stage Lyme disease case, I was lucky to, to get better after that treatment. So you go through high school, you survive high school, which is hard enough as it is. 
These podcasts are just me like getting all my emotional stuff about childhood out. <laughs> that was high school for you, Jesse. <laughs> we don't need to talk about it. Um, so now you're in college. Uh, where where did you go to college? How? Yeah. Where were you in college and what were you studying? So I went to Colgate in central New York and uh, I studied English literature. Okay. And you're like cognitive, cognitively totally fine, nothing weird, normal. Yeah. Yeah. I felt, felt very healthy for my first couple years at college. Um, and the same as high school. Then and then um, old symptoms started coming back uh, neck pain, migraines, sinus infections. And I started getting some other things like tendinitis um, in my Achilles and in my knees. Was there stuff that you, I mean, when that started happening, did you immediately panic and go right back to, oh no, I'm going to get Lyme again? I, my symptoms are going to come back? Or did you think it was something else? No, I I kind of chalked it up to, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm in college. I'm obviously under under stress. You know, I'm I'm playing a Division One sport. Injuries are going to happen that way. What sport were you playing? I was playing lacrosse uh, in college. Yeah. So, um, and I I just kind of dismissed them as daily aches and pains that you go through as as you get older. So I I as you get older <laughs> at nineteen as years you old, enter your twenties. Uh, so I I dismissed a lot of them. And it wasn't until like the really troubling symptoms arrived that I sought medical attention. And so how was it like a gradual uh, decline or was it sort of like in over a couple of weeks, things got pretty bad? It was pretty gradual. Um, It was gradual. But by my junior year, I was starting to get like lockjaw whenever I would go to like eat a sandwich or yell and with that, I'd get this crazy ring in my ears. And I knew that for sure was not normal. Um, well, okay, so you've got lockjaw, you've got uh, lockjaw. Yeah, it's what, else get... is, what else is going on as a 20-year-old in, in college? Dizziness, vertigo, tingling and numbness in my uh, you know fingers and toes. Um, th- then I went on a, a trip to, I went, I went on a trip to Europe uh, summer going into my senior year. And at the end of that trip, I like my body basically gave up. All of those symptoms really started ramping up. And I thought, okay, something's wrong here. Um, and I, I I knew of people who, who had Lyme disease and who had gotten it twice. And that was something that I was going to look into again in earnest because I simply couldn't couldn't get through days feeling that way. Did you go and see doctors? before that Europe trip while you were not feeling well? Um, I had gone back to see my infectious disease doctor uh, once. And the he, original one? Who the gave original you the one. And he, he said, okay, look, like you might be having uh, a flare-up or maybe you have a new case. Here's two to three. I think he gave me like two weeks of doxycycline and I took that. He didn't, why wouldn't he give you a pick line and a month of rocephin again? I, I don't know. He didn't seem to be convinced that my symptoms were severe enough to warrant that sort of treatment. I hated that answer. Um, but you did also have a doctor that said you couldn't get Lyme 
twice. Yeah, that's a doctor that I went to see in Connecticut. And yeah, he basically looked me in the eye and said, you can't get Lyme disease twice and don't become one of those Lyme wackos. I guarantee if you go, he said, if you search for it, a doctor will treat you with month to years of needless antibiotics. Trust me. Don't, like, <laughs> don't become one of those Lyme wackos. He, I, I hope if you're listening to this, I hope you are one of those Lyme wackos that advocates for yourself when you are very, very sick. He told me he would give me the three weeks of intravenous antibiotics just for my peace of mind, but that that I should basically know that it was doing nothing for, for Lyme disease because it was no longer uh, in my body. And I mean, I, I didn't really know any better. I hadn't done a great deal of research on my own, um, but the more research... I did do, I kept finding cases where people's uh, symptoms either persisted for years or they would ebb and flow or they'd go dormant and then come back. And my symptoms, like if you're, if you're going to say that nothing is wrong with you or you don't have Lyme disease anymore, okay, fine. Well, then let's get to the bottom of this because these are really bizarre symptoms and you're holding a positive Lyme disease test in your hand. So what could it be, right? Rather than just saying, you know, take Advil for the rest of your life and live with these symptoms for the rest of your life, let's get to the root cause of it, right? If it's not Lyme disease, I'm open to that, but let's figure it out. And what was it like for you, I guess, mentally and emotionally, knowing that you're like dealing with this again for the second time as a young person are you like pretty level-headed because you got through it once already? Are you, where, where's your head at in this situation? Cause these are, th these are tough. Like these things that you're saying to me, hosting this podcast, like I, I'm just getting like the craziest medical things that people have ever said to anybody ever. Like yeah. everything you just said is the, is terrible and, and like completely dismissive of patients and, which we which we see all the time in the Generation Lime community, right? So, how were you, how did you handle that emotionally? I mean, were you still in school at the time? Were you did you drop out? Yeah, I was I was going back to school uh, that fall. That that happened. So this was in the summer this was, again. This was luckily, in like August. <laughs> yeah, this was in like mid to late August, and uh, I I thought you know may, maybe I'm. <laughs> Maybe I'm overblowing these these symptoms. Maybe it's mm. not such a big deal, right? Maybe this is something that I can live with. And it's possible, you know, these are residual symptoms from a case of Lyme disease I had a long time ago, and it's just something to be dealt with. Was uh, it something you could have lived with? No, that would have been a terrible existence. <laughs> that would have been absolutely awful. I remember I, remember I would like a thousand times a day in my brain, I'd go, okay, if I'm like this for the rest of my life, could I survive like that? Right. If I'm like this for the rest of my life, could I survive like that? So yeah, I mean, the fact that he said that to you, I think is just crazy. So obviously this sounds like something that you couldn't just live with and, and power through. No, no, obviously. it was terrible. Crushing headaches, dizziness, tendonitis throughout the body like it just yeah it was not a reasonable situation so you went back to college your senior year so i did but before that i went on like a lyme disease uh nonprofit website 
and was able to find an LLMD in New Jersey. So, I mean, I can't even imagine. What year is this? This is a while ago, right? Yeah, this is uh, summer of 2011. So how many options were there for LLMDs in New Jersey? Two? Yeah, like a handful. <laughs> like probably probably 10, right? Yeah. And even the one who I went to see was like 45 minutes away from me. So it was by no means like a convenient doctor appointment. That's um, hilarious. So you go to you so you have a new you have an appointment with a new doctor. Right. And and you bring in the positive test and just a whole series of symptoms. Right. And how does that appointment go? Much better. Okay, good. Uh, much better. He also runs his own tests, you know, confirms that I do have uh, Lyme disease, both uh, previous case and an acute case. So he starts me on uh, rounds of antibiotics with supplements. And I am, I, I feel, I feel much better within the first month and then have lingering symptoms for the next several months. I continue treatment. And ultimately get back to a place where I feel like 90% of my previous self, which is like a huge success. But um, along the way, I'm connecting with other patients, asking for like treatment tips about what they've been through. How are you finding these patients in 2011? Um, So I went to a support group in upstate New York. Well, I guess you call it central New York. (laughs) And, And there were like, 10 to 15 people in that group. It was, uh, I, I was the youngest person there by like 20 years. <laughs> it's like everyone there was, which is why generation Lyme exists. Thank exactly. you for helping us find but, our, but still, statement. I mean, it was great to connect pe- with people who had gone through the same thing as you and just a place to, uh, share knowledge and resources because at that point you couldn't really find it anywhere online. Yeah. Right. It's like, um, yeah, the CDC website didn't really have it. Um, National Health Institute didn't have it. So, yeah, I, I went to these support groups probably once a month and uh, connected with patients. And, uh, yeah, also also met some other people through Friends of Friends. Were there things that you noticed that came up a lot in those support groups that we're still seeing is, like, pretty common? Like, were were a lot of people in those groups getting misdiagnosed? Were a lot of people getting turned away by doctors? Or was that just, was that something that was different for you compared to everyone else there? No, you definitely see common threads, um, especially like point of initial uh, symptom to the time that you're diagnosed is like years. It's like years that people go getting misdiagnosed by doctors, developing new symptoms, um, you know, a, a lot of these people end up getting negative Lyme disease tests. So they think, okay, well, decisively, I don't have Lyme disease. So let's look at these other options. So, I mean, yeah, you just look at the uh, crazy amount of time that people spend searching for an answer, uh, not being able to find it while suffering pretty needlessly. Was it weird for you to be there as like 20 years younger than everyone else? Yeah, it was, but I was like... Um, I think I was just like desperate for, for answers. Yeah. Well, I think we've all been in that situation for sure. Um, okay. So you finished college and now you're 90% better. Yep. And what is your life like after college? Um, 
pretty pretty normal. I'm living in New York City. I'm working hey. in sales for this uh, for this technology company. It's like a good good gig. My friends are in are in New York City. Life life is great. Um, but throughout my senior year, you know, I knew that I wanted to get involved in Lyme disease just because I was alarmed and like pretty pissed off just about how uh, far behind the diagnostic tests are for Lyme disease and the fact that patients are being dismissed routinely while going through these, through all this suffering. Um, were your friends supportive? Were your like, were your yeah, college they, they friends were supportive? They were very supportive, very supportive. Everyone was. And like what I came to know is like everyone knows someone with Lyme disease, right? In central and, New York, especially. For yeah. Sure. And not just like early stage Lyme disease, but like, you know, uh, you know, guys who I played lacrosse with, like, one of their brothers had really bad Lyme disease for a number of years and was getting treatment for a number of years and had to, you know, uh, take breaks from school and that kind of thing. So, uh, you realize that it's much more common, uh, but for whatever reason, you know, these people aren't being connected and it's not being spoken about. Uh, so for a while I thought like I wanted to go back to, I wanted to go to law school and become like a legal advocate advocate for patients, but I'm like, yeah, all right, that's that's a noble goal, but law school is <laughs> crazy expensive, and that's yeah. quite a big uh, time and financial commitment. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I was sitting at my desk at my job, thinking of ways to get involved, and suddenly decided I was going to bike across the country to raise awareness for Lyme disease and raise money <laughs> for a better diagnostic test. <laughs> Uh, that was that very was lofty. A, that was just a thought that you had while you were, was there like a, were you like reading about someone who had done a bike trip? Were you biking? A, I'm assuming you were biking a lot at the time. No, no, I wasn't biking much. <laughs> I mean, I did bike a fair amount as when I was in high school, but not like serious, uh, road biking, right? I'd bike to, to friends' houses, but, um, that's not the same thing. No, it's not the same thing whatsoever. And yeah, I discovered that early on in training for the ride. But uh, yeah, I just I, I wanted to do something that was big enough in scope to get to get eyeballs on the disease, and also one that would be able to kind of connect me with patients across the country. Okay, so you have this idea, and you're feeling pretty well, I'm assuming, because have if the you idea. Weren't... Yeah, fe feeling uh, very healthy at that point, and, and then so... you pitch it to some people and you find people who are going to support you. I pitch it to several Lyme disease organizations and uh, some of them said no. Others... <laughs> we don't need to throw anybody <laughs> under the bus No, 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 no. Some of the, I mean, and rightly so. Like, who is this kid Who's just this guy? pitching? Who's this guy? Like, he just wants to bike across the country and raise awareness for Lyme disease. Uh, so I sent my outline and my plan to different nonprofits and ultimately found Tickborne Disease Alliance. Um, and there were just like, a few people on that board who are absolutely incredible and like grabbed onto the idea basically immediately. And like, we still, you know, we still know those people and, you know, work with them. I mean, David Roth, Jen Weiss, Nan Kurzman, they were who all are on the, on, who are on the project, project Lime board, board and are all amazing which, people. Yeah. And, um, they were Shout looking, out project Lime. <laughs> they were looking to do something, uh, big because, you know, just that would, draw attention and help patients and raise money for a diagnostic test. That's what they were really focused on. So how long, how long between when you pitched them the idea and they said, yes, 
how long between that and when you actually did it? Like six months. So you trained for six months. I trained. Yeah, I trained probably for four months. And okay. And I have here, you started September, 2013 in San Francisco. Yep. And then how long did it take? Where did you end up? First of all? Um, so yeah, started at the Golden Gate Bridge and ended in Central Park. How long did it take you to bike across America? It took, I think, just over 60 days. Oh, my God. Uh, and you did you have a, your route planned out every day, obviously, that you knew exactly where you were going to go and where you yeah. were going to stay and all that stuff? It was like we, we had our own RV that was like decked out in the nonprofit stickers and it was like it was all branded and um, we had a cinematographer with us. We had a driver and we had uh, basically um, a, a logistics uh, person who and had how, created the route. And made how far sure were you safe. going every day? Um, anywhere from like 50 to... 120 miles per day so it's a lot a lot of biking but you weren't just going straight through right like you stopped and met with patients along the way yeah i mean i remember when we met that that to me was like the most powerful part of it but obviously biking that far is completely insane and you're a superhero but the the individual one-on-one patient interactions that you had and meeting with those people and hearing their stories and sharing their stories i think was there any part of that that really stuck out to you that like you still remember today? It's very, very grassroots, the whole campaign. And, um, you know, we, we met with over a hundred patients throughout and, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, a lot of those meetings were, were just heartbreaking because you see across the country, people's lives are being, uh, crushed by this disease, both the impact that it has on people's physical health and their finances, you know, people spending hundreds and thousands of dollars uh, seeking treatment. And you realize that the scope of this thing, right? You can talk about 400,000 cases, new cases of Lyme disease per year, but to actually see that and meet with those people and, and put a face on it, it was, yeah. I mean, I, I feel very fortunate while biking across the country, having been able to get my health back after being sick. But for so many people, um, that it doesn't happen immediately, right? And it requires a lot of treatment and there's no roadmap for how to get better from uh, you know, chronic Lyme disease. Were there any cases of the hundred that really stand? I mean, I, I feel like, I don't know how I've never even asked you this question, but like, is there anyone specifically like, anyone's story that you just like haven't forgotten after, I don't know, almost 10 years. Um, no pressure. I mean, yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering, like, I don't want to just pick one story yeah. and like say this one's more important than the others and not more important, yeah. but I, I cause even or this just, one sticks out more. Cause I, you know, my wife and I joke that like everywhere I go, there's people have chronic illness, you know, like right. my Uber driver person next to me on an airplane in the in the pre COVID times when you could go places. Yep. So I I mean, I've met so many people and, it, you know, it's like the cab driver whose mom and sister also they've all been diagnosed with lupus, but they all have Lyme symptoms and they've 
no one's ever brought up Lyme to them. And, I, you know, I just have all of these uh, stories of meeting people randomly where I, it's just, yeah, it's just so heartbreaking, you know? Right. I mean, that did happen a lot of times where we'd pop into a town in like southwestern Colorado and basically be like kind of man on the street. Like, do you have Lyme disease? Do you know someone who has Lyme disease? Yeah. And it was always like, yes, I have it. Or yes, my kid is sick with Lyme disease. And that's how we actually had some of those interviews. But um, so that brings up something that I, that I wanted to ask you about, which is. And it's still happening now where there are so many people impacted by this and so many people that have it. And they're not talking about it and they don't know and they don't realize that so many other people have the same thing. Right. And why is that? What do you think that is? I don't know. Um, I think there's. I mean, even when you get Lyme disease, I think there's a stigma attached to it. Uh, in that, you know, you take your two to three weeks of antibiotics and then you're better forever. And if you're not, it's because, uh, you know, either something's wrong with you or your, 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 your genetics aren't quite right, or you're making it up entirely. And we might have to put you in touch with a therapist because, uh, what you have is not Lyme disease. It's, it's in your head because you should be better by now because, the uh, diagnostics because the treatment program that was put together 30 years ago hasn't worked for you. Yeah, and also, the, by the way, on the CDC website, they even say uh, like an overwhelming amount of people do not get better after the two to three weeks of antibiotics. And then they surmise, you know, it could be an autoimmune response to a previous case. It could be your central nervous system. It could be a persistent infection. But in light of all that information, we're just going to give you two to three weeks of antibiotics. And if you don't get better, then, you know, there's a shrug. But you see, but you see that actually there's a parallel with it with COVID kind of where it was like, well, you know, you could have COVID and test negative for COVID and not show any symptoms and still give it to people. So no one should leave their houses. And then you'd see people go, well, like, we all got tested and we're all negative. So now we're all going to hang out together. It's like. Right the reality versus the information that you know, there's a, a disconnect there. And yeah. So, so I'm, I'm not surprised by, by the way that COVID, a lot of what COVID was handled either because there's information we know like that it doesn't always work for Lyme treatment, but then we don't actually act like we remember that information. Like we've, I, I just, I, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And I also would wonder when we look back on this part of our history, how much damage, the phrase you should be better by now has caused, you know, it's, it's odd, man. And it's really frustrating because, um, you know, I think, I think most doctors know that certain amount of patients do not get better. And rather than saying to the patient, look, there's 20% of patients who do not get better after two to three weeks of antibiotics. I don't know why that is. And I don't know what treatment it will take to get you better, but know that what you're going through, um, is not unusual and you should continue to seek answers. You rarely get that response from a doctor. At least I, I rarely got that response. And, and a lot of the patients I met with while going across the country didn't hear that from doctors. Um, and I, I think that's something everyone can get behind, right? Someone acknowledging we don't have all the answers here and you should absolutely pursue what's, what's going on with you, uh, instead of dismissing. 
yeah. and saying outright, this didn't work for you. So it can't be Lyme disease. Yeah. I mean, even like your doctor that was just like, this isn't Lyme. Okay. See ya. Right. N- no trying to fit, get to the bottom of the problem. No trying to solve it. Just, all right, you can go now. Yeah. You become very tunnel vision. You, you put like kind of a, it's just a very rigid approach to it. So you bike across the country, you meet a super cool, handsome guy like me. Uh, this is 2012, 2013. Um, how have you, how are you feeling now? How have you been feeling for the last seven or eight years? Um, are you quote unquote back to normal? Are you still dealing with symptoms? Um, no, I mean, I, I think still very much back to normal after the trip. Oh, and I do have an answer for you about the patient that stuck up, stuck out to me most while going across the country. Yeah. Brooke Stoddard. <laughs> I didn't know that. Brooke, Brooke Stoddard on the Generation Brooke Lime board. Tweeted, Brooke tweeted at me as I was going through Philadelphia and I did uh, I did like a, a media interview with one of the local stations there and he had <sighs> tweeted and then I think he reached out to David Roth after that and that's what connected us. So I think that for me has been wow. the most long-term relationship that's happened from the cross country bike ride. I so if we can go back, no, edit no that idea. into the previous. No, part. no, no. We're, leave, we're leaving it in. We're leaving yeah. it in. So that's incredible though. I love that full circle. Shout out Brooke Stoddard for tweeting in 2012. Um, so how are you feeling? How are you feeling now? And, and, and is Lyme something like, are you taking a bunch of treat? Are you doing treatments now? Are you, what what's your situation today? Um, I still feel very fortunate and healthy. I'm very like physically active. You know, I, I still do a lot of a lot of biking, a lot of running. Um, I I have I have gut issues that I don't know if it's caused by Lyme disease or uh, antibiotics I took to treat the Lyme disease or what it is, but I do have uh, gut issues that happen. On a, on a regular basis, um, was also diagnosed with celiac disease, which I don't know uh, if that's in any way related to the Lyme disease. But yeah, you know, I'd say every day, you know, um, a- aches and pains happen that may or may not be related to to the Lyme disease. Um, that said, I'm for sure at ninety percent. Um, feel very grateful for that. Um, so I understand feeling grateful, but I also know that we're all human. Are there still times where like emotionally and mentally it's very challenging? I mean, you've been dealing with this for over 20 years, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, you always wonder, you know, could I get to 100%, right? What would that feel like? Would it be worth going back and seeing one of these doctors and really detailing a comprehensive plan that is going to fix my gut in my immune system uh, and get me back to that point. Um, but dude, it's like, it's a real commitment, right? I mean, financially, it's, it's a huge commitment to get that sort of help from the, from the experts. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I've, I've considered it in the past on days where I'm really not, not feeling great or can't focus or, you know, have a pounding headache, but, uh, I've chosen to 
I, I take the supplements. I live like a very kind of uh, disciplined lifestyle in terms of like nutrition, uh, sleep. You know, I, I don't, I drink like, I drink alcohol probably five, <laughs> five nights a year, five special nights a year. Hey. Um, and so, I mean, it, it has, I have made uh, kind of life changing or lifestyle decisions that where you're it's just something that's going to be a part of you exactly for the rest of your life basically. exactly i know yeah. if i eat the wrong thing or drink the wrong thing i'll pay for it dearly the next day or possibly the next week i think what's interesting about you versus uh haley versus you know just a lot of people that i've spoken to you it seems like in a lot of situations you have a direct causation and effect you know like you're not feeling well you tried a treatment, the treatment kind of worked, you know, yeah. you eat the wrong thing. You're not going to feel well immediately. There's, there's, there's way less gray area for you throughout this journey. I think, which I think you've been fortunate with, it seems like. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've been pretty good at, uh, become pretty good at identifying triggers for, uh, for symptoms, but that required a lot of like process of elimination and getting <laughs> rid of things from the diet um, are there things you what, miss? Are there things that you, so many things I miss. Have you ever eaten gluten-free bread? <laughs> it's like cardboard filled with sawdust. you like, you need to toast it by necessity yeah. in order to make it edible. Everyone so listening that. just nodded. Every single person <laughs> listening just nodded. They're getting better to be fair. To be fair, they're I definitely agree. getting better. It's changed a lot in the last six years, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just to be able to walk into, a pizzeria and grab a slice, right? Just to yeah. be able to grab a slice of pizza or to like have a true, like, like hoagie, like to have like a proper sandwich or even like having the bread at an Italian restaurant. Right. Yeah. You know, the sacrifice to be able to make. dip that fresh bread in the olive oil and <laughs> not want to like strangle the tablecloth as everyone else enjoys their bread. You know, that, that'd be nice. Here I am thinking you're this happy-go-lucky guy, and then I didn't realize you're fostering <laughs> I am, and I'm, I am very happy. Anger. I am very happy when my fiance gets to enjoy her her sandwich or the the bread at the Italian restaurant. I just wish I could enjoy it too. I don't blame you. I yeah. do not blame you. And so, a lot of the places do have uh, the gluten-free bread too. So I, I know, but they they give you a look I'm when you order it. I'm they, complaining. I shouldn't be complaining. That's what the podcast is for. It's like that's what it's you know, for. Whatever. I just I just don't eat gluten. I get made fun of for it by by my friends, and it's it's all good. <laughs> I thought they were supportive. They're very supportive, but I mean, like they're like, oh, like look at John hopping on this gluten free fad, and I'm like, dude, like I I have celiac disease. Like I'm sorry, I don't know. Oh, he doesn't like gluten. Like <laughs> it's funny. And it's all good, good natured. Everyone's very supportive uh, when it matters. Um, <laughs> so we're going to, I think we're going to wrap up here. Uh, but before we go, I just wanted to know if there was anything that you want to say to people listening that maybe are newly diagnosed, young people trying to, they're at different parts in their journey, just anything that you want to say to them that you wish that, that people had said to you. Yeah, I mean, the, the most important part of this is being your own advocate and not taking, you know, 
you're crazy as, as an adequate answer. I know that sounds very obvious on the surface, but while you're going through it, it's very difficult to take a step back and look at things analytically and be your own advocate and push for answers to these very real symptoms that you're going through. So I'd say to continue to be persistent and fight for your health. And ultimately you will, you will find the right doctor who can give you a comprehensive plan to get you feeling better because those doctors exist across the United States. They just might, might not be the first ones to, to pop up in your provider search. Yeah. But uh, those doctors are absolutely there and they can make all the difference. And I'd also recommend joining uh, the Generation Lime meetups. I mean, it's <laughs> nice. For real. John. Like, like, nice. Really, really. Um, it's, it's incredible to be able to connect with people your age who are going through the same experience, who have valuable resources, uh, whether that is, you know, you know, how do I get through relationships with Lyme disease or what treatment has worked for you guys? Like, it's just a great place to go to for, for good information and to uh, connect with people. Cause I know going through Lyme disease, especially uh, now during quarantine, it, it's probably even more isolating. Yeah. So I think connecting with people in addition to being your own advocate and fighting for an answer, uh, those would be my, my two pieces of, of advice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything you've done. Uh, if you are listening to this, just know that you can make a difference without biking across the country for Lyme Absolutely. disease. But if you do bike across the country for Lyme disease, we'll be pretty excited about that too. Yeah. If you want to bike across the country for generation Lyme to, <laughs> to spread the word about Lyme disease on our behalf, you know, we, we'd love that. We know, we know a guy who can give you some tips. Um, so, uh, on behalf of Generation Lime, once again, my name is Jesse Rubin, and this has been John Donnelly. John, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, once again, please rate us five stars, follow us, subscribe on all the things. Also, you can check out our brand new website, which is genlime.org. Um, if you would like to come to a meetup, we have them on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, we have a women's meetup on Sundays, and we have a parents meetup and a partners meetup uh, once a month, which you can RSVP for on our website. Um, thank you so much for listening to this. We're going to have a lot more cool podcasts coming up throughout the rest of the year, different interviews with people, roundtable discussions. If you have an idea for a podcast that you'd like us to do, please let us know at our website and follow us on Instagram at generation underscore lime. And other than that, Stay safe and stay healthy and stay sane. And thanks for listening. Thanks again, John. You're the best. Thank you.